welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host. Our guest on this program is John Henry Crosby. He's the editor and presenter of Alice von Hildebrand's Remnant of Paradise, selected essays with remembrances by her friends, published proudly by the Hildebrand Project, and of course, naturally available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic and especially for all thing Alice von Hildebrand. Always great to, it's great to be with great you, Doug. to be with you. Now, yeah. now you've got, you know, Dietrich von Hildebrand, you've got Alice von Hildebrand, this is Alice's work. Um, both of them were, are gone uh, based yeah. on their age. You're a young man. How do you get connected with the Hildebrand project? Well, I, um, my, both of my parents knew the Hildebrands. Uh, my mother is Austrian and grew up knowing uh, Dietrich von Hildebrand and then also Alice as a young girl. Mm -hmm. And my dad met the Dietrich and Alice von Hildebrand as a student at Georgetown. He invited uh, Dietrich to give a lecture at Georgetown. It was a very controversial lecture uh, on on topics related to Vatican II. And, um, but that, that changed the course of my dad's life. You know, right. he was going to go study philosophy somewhere else, and, and Dietrich von Hildebrand said, no, you need to study with one of my students. So my dad went to Austria. That's where he met my mother, among other, uh, okay. other things. And, and so I came up in this family in which uh, Dietrich and Alice von Hildebrand were revered. I think I admired him, Dietrich, first for his anti-Nazi resistance. Right. That appealed to me as a young man. But then I got to meet... Right, so it's like a movie, his Oh, story. it's like a movie. Yeah, I mean, the right, story of his escape yeah. and yeah, his right. wit and his resistance is extraordinary. Right. But I got to meet um, Alice, or Lily, as we, we all knew her, right. um, in my, probably in my early teen years. Mm -hmm. And I remember once being invited over. Uh, we were staying at the home of her great friend, Madeleine Stebbins, and I had a chance to go over after dinner to have a chat, or a tete-a-tete, -tete, as Lily would call it, right, right. with her, and I was just so impressed by her. I mean, even as a young teenage boy, I was, I was sort of swept away by her wit and her mm -hmm. brilliance and, right. her, and her charm, and, uh, and she really captivated me. So that's how I first got to know her. Right. So where is uh, your group actually located? Where is the project actually located these days? So the Hildebrand Project is, is based uh, at the, uh, on the campus of Franciscan University of Steubenville, a very good home for us. We are uh, a grateful affiliate of the university. Uh, my dad, uh, who was, a, 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 again, a student of Van Hildebrand's, built up a, a philosophy department there. That right, had he, great did, he, he did a, a couple of series, or worked yeah, on a series. That's right, that's us, right. Uh, that's, you know, that, that, even your mom was involved with one as that's well. That's right, right, yes. Right. My mom and dad did the live show with Mother Angelica many, right, many right, moons ago. Right. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, very good home for us. It's the base of our operations. We run our summer seminars other okay. activities there. Okay, well let me ask you, how did you decide which particular essays you wanted to put in this particular book? Well, uh, that was that was difficult, as you can imagine. Um, Lily was, was incredibly prolific mm -hmm. as an essayist. It was maybe the form that came uh, most naturally to her, and I think part of it was that she was so she was such a person of the spoken word, mm -hmm. right? And in the in the personal encounter with someone in conversation, mm -hmm. and these essays have that character. Uh, they just flow out of her. She used to email me, and she would say, you know, dear one, I've just shaken this out of my sleeve, <laughs> and in right, a couple right, of hours, right. she would write something, you know, a gem. Um, so there, there, I don't I don't know what the total number of essays are, but there are probably more than a hundred and maybe a good deal more. 
And so our goal was to try to find something representative of all the different topics that she spent her life meditating on. Right. So there are essays in there on, on the uh, issues of Catholic femininity, for mm -hmm. example. There are essays in there on, on education. There's essays in there on the sacramentals. You know, mm -hmm. she had a lot of wisdom sometimes about very specific Catholic things. Right. You know, she encourages the recovery of the sacramentals. There's a beautiful essay in there uh, in which she calls for a feast to be made, uh, made in honor of Our right. Lady, Queen of Widows. Right, right, uh, right. She had right. such a sensitivity. Well, she had that wonderful book. That's right, widow by books. grief, by grief refined. Yeah, very, and she, very powerful. Book. And she was a widow for, uh, you know, for much yeah, of her life. I always recommended that book to anybody. Yeah, who's still yeah. So, that. so we it's wanted to book. give people a sense of sort of all the different topics that Lily had devoted her, her thought and reflection to. Now, the the thing that's interesting about this mm -hmm. book is when we first envisioned it, it was just supposed to be a collection of essays. Mm -hmm. But then after she passed away, we collected so many wonderful remembrances of people right. who knew right. her. Mm -hmm. And what became clear is that Lily lived in the hearts of those who loved her. Absolutely. Uh, in a unique way, and those stories capture that, and so we wanted to right. contain that. So there's one in there by by you. That's right. Uh, there's that's one right. in there by me. That um, was a bookmark episode where she kicked me on the leg. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's one of my favorite stories. Uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and Mr. Keck, why are you kicking me? That's right. <laughs> despite so the fact that you had told her this is my discreet. This is, I'm going to let you know we're going for a break. <laughs> but and, and then she told me what Keck my name meant, and I told her, well, it's just that she said, oh no, it's much more than that. So. <laughs> So she was funny. You talk about the idea of everything she'd done, that it was driven by her yearn for contact with people. Yeah. What did you mean? Well, I mean, so uh, the, the comment you're, you're citing there was that she, um, uh, when, when she couldn't have that contact anymore, mm -hmm. when she couldn't go out and she couldn't lecture, uh, publishing online gave her the feeling of being able to continue to contribute. It was There was a way in which she didn't want to just sort of go into quiet retirement. She had things to say. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was very dear. She would ask, especially early on, she became aware of the phenomenon of comments mm -hmm. on an article. Right, and she wanted that, to know yeah. how many comments there were. And it had nothing to do with vanity. It was the fact that she this was a, a gauge of whether people were responding Bonding. to what she had to say. Was, was, she, was she hitting some points that people needed that, to hear? That's, and that's it right. was causing a reaction one way or the other. You also said that Lily made no pretenses to originality. How so? Well, it was it was that kind of special attitude of the of perhaps the truly brilliant mind that recognizes that you know one's brilliance isn't just in one's own originality. It's in it's in discovering truth, and and I also say in my introduction she also really gave the lie to the idea that truth is boring. Right? That you know somehow there's this idea I think that that there's there's one truth and we all know it and it's sort of going to kind of force everybody into these straitjackets, and Lily was a wonderful. Um, uh, exponent or a wonderful example of how interesting and varied truth is because it's mm -hmm. always being perceived by individual minds, by individual personalities and she had these wonderful ways of, of, um, of telling stories that would convey right. her ideas. So uh, so I, I want to underscore this was not right. a way of suggesting that she didn't have something to say but that right. she had a certain kind of, uh, re she understood that to say the most original things really uh, had that that came out of encountering right and a lot of it she had an original way of saying it but what she was saying was something that was traditions of the church or she was the greatest proponent obviously for the for the philosophy of, of her of husband. husband oh right. yes absolutely yeah. I mean that's yeah. what she focused on and you also said here she often spoke movingly about each how each of us as, as you were talking about, deserves a patent for our errors but how truth is never mine or yours, but ours. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was. Uh, I remember she would. She would often say that in the company of all sorts of people. I remember being in a room once with a with a fairly academic and perhaps even a bit of a dry philosopher. And mm -hmm. I think he had misty eyes, hearing her to sort of describe the vocation of the philosopher in that way. Mm -hmm. Whose sister Prudence Allen? 
Well, Sister Prudence Allen is a, is a distinguished Catholic theologian, um, religious, uh, who wrote a big three-volume work called The Concept of, of Woman. Mm -hmm. And it traces that all the way from, uh, I, I think the, the, the initial volume might even begin with, the, with ancient thought, but in any case, it picks up with, with biblical thought and goes all the way through the medieval period, the modern world. So she's a real authority mm -hmm. on how the notion of woman has unfolded within Christian thought and history. Right. And she devotes a big chapter or a big entry to Lily, really? which is very interesting. It's a longer entry than she devotes to Dietrich really? on this on this theme, and she and and she says that Lily is a is a is a is an original contributor to the church's sort of deepened understanding of woman and also of what she calls integral gender complementarity. Right. So right. she reads, you know, Lily alongside people like Edith Stein and John Paul II. Right. Yeah, she was very big on women. And she'd let you know that. That's right. Well, she would always <laughs> say to people like you and me, "Remember, dear one, you're just you're only a man." That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> And in Two Souls, One Flesh, he says, to be a human being, therefore, implies being both body and soul, also man and woman, persons of different sexes, but equal dignity, and clearly called to complement each other. It's that complementarity that she's right. so big on, right? That's right. That's right. Exactly. Despite sometimes reminding us of our near <laughs> manhood, uh, she, she was very clear on the idea that humanity is man and woman together. She says, when there is disharmony between body and soul, many assume that turning to the other sex will bring them peace. It is my firm conviction that if the body and soul are at war, it inevitably follows that any valid relationship with the other sex will be impossible. That's right. That's right. Yeah, she she had a uh, she she recognized the, uh, the the way in which there could be kind of a temptation to sort of bring to peace the uh, the, the, the the turmoil in the human soul and in our desires, uh, and uh, and and yet at the same time that of course is no no real remedy. She talks about here, I'm talking about this with the weaker sex in, in the section where she talks about greater confusion. The greater punishment was given to the weaker sex, okay? She has been given the honor of bringing forth life, yet now this privilege was to be had at a high price, agonizing pains in delivering her child. So talking about the fall, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, she, 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 had, a, she had a great sense, uh, and she was wonderful at reading scripture. You know, Lily was a great reteller of scriptural mm -hmm. insights, as you see there. Right. In the, in the essay, The Discrimination Complex, she, she quotes Nietzsche. She says, Nietzsche made the deep remarks that since the French Revolution, women have more power and less influence. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. She thought that women had somehow forfeited perhaps their true power, which lay in influence and in suggestion um, and in encouragement mm -hmm. and accompaniment, all, all of those, those, right. those distinctively feminine qualities as Lily understood them in favor of wanting to have um, a power, particularly in the way in which men often wield power. Right. Well, that seems to be the problem. The problem is aping men rather than being true women. That was, that was certainly Lily's, Lily's assertion. So yeah. all these things. She says, before the feminist poison had spread like wildfire, Charles Dickens in Bleak House sketched a perfect caricature of a grotesque female, Mrs. Jellybee who, or jelly by, who neglected husband and children, being totally absorbed by her mission to improve the conditions of unknown of an unknown African tribe. I remember that in Bleak House. Yeah. She was a character. Why would she, why did she point that out? Well, Lily, I think, understood that the, um, again, that the greatest, uh, I mean, really, at the, at the core of the, of the, the vocation of woman is is the ability to, to bring life and nurture life, and that's always done in the concrete. You know, she loved to tell sort of her quips would be things like, you know, if you had a 
maybe it's a bit stereotypical, mm -hmm. to, but she would say, you know, if there was a computer and a baby in the womb, and she said, she said, I, I could predict where the man would go and where the woman would go. Men tend tend more towards abstraction. Mm -hmm. uh, women tend towards the concrete and to the personal. Right, right, absolutely. Now, in in Mary Queen of Widows, an article that she apparently wrote for the Wanderer, she said there are millions of women who share Mary's fate and have tasted being the Blessed Mother, have tasted the bitterness of losing a person with whom they had a tender bond for precious years of their lives, who had shared sorrows in their joys. Was she talking about her own loss there? Well, it was rooted in her own loss. Yeah, it was right. such a such a, a, a such a deep bond that she had with her husband, um, and and a bond not in a, in a way a bond that went beyond only the bond of love in marriage, but they shared so much, right? Intellectually and spiritually and religiously, artistically. She speaks about that. There's an interview in this book where right. she describes this this kind of unique bond that they had. Yeah. So the loss of of that. Um, that relationship. She speaks about the Tabor vision that you have in love. You know, the, in other words, you see the person perhaps with a kind of uh, deep insight into who, who they really are. So to lose that with with someone to whom she right. was so close was incredibly uh, painful. And and she said, you know, I, the, the, all of this, of course, happened before I knew her. But I, right. my, my understanding is that those those early years after her after the loss of her husband in 1977 were particularly painful for her. Right. But as typical of Lily, she found a way to then to turn her own suffering and her own, her own insight into this book by, by Grief Refined, which right. addresses this issue. And then right. uh, this is a, what we, sh we should say, I guess, to the viewers that the, the, the case that this article makes is that Our Lady is honored under so many different titles, but not as Queen of Widows. Right, which yet, you mentioned before was in that. Was that that's right. That that's, 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 the, that's, that's the essay, essay you were alluding to earlier. Right. That's right. So. You also have on page 44, Mother Angelica's Feminine Genius. Uh, and Mother talks about a woman who love who loves fears nothing. Mother Angelica's supernatural qualities with a golden key to her holy darling separated by an abyss from self-assurance which is often the downfall of many machos starting with the beloved Saint Peter. <laughs> and, she, and she talks about Mother's life can be summarized with the words from defeat to victory. And as you kind of mentioned earlier, when I dedicated my memoirs of happy failure to both Father Benedict Rochelle and Mother Angelica, I did not choose flamboyant words of praise. I just used two quotations. Without me, you can do nothing, and I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Uh, and that should be on their tombs. And both of those, uh, we were lucky enough to personally know and, uh, yeah. and our, our great leading lights and still so much of what they have to say, even today, means so much. Yeah. In your faith walk. That's right. That's right. Yeah. She also says in the section on Mother Angelica, the most perfect of all creatures is a woman. There we go. Uh, the one who gave birth to the Savior, who declared that he was life itself. History will tell us that this humble nun, talking about Mother Angelica, who founded one of the most powerful Catholic media outlets in the world would have been the first to declare that it was God's work. She goes on to say, Mother Angelica's amazing life clearly tells us that humility and a heart burning with love can conquer the world. Yeah. That also describes her. Oh, it absolutely describes her. She was very conscious of her weakness, her frailty. She had also, you know, she, she used to say that her husband misjudged her strength because he was 34 years older than she was. Mm -hmm. And and so he, he thought, well, you know, you're in your 30s and your 40s, you, you should be able to keep up with me. But in fact, he had far more vitality mm -hmm. and energy than, than she did into his 70s and, and early 80s. And, and uh, so she suffered a lot, mm -hmm. uh, physically and uh, 
and so she had a great sense of her frailty, but mm -hmm. at the same time she, she was able to see in that the great opening to God's grace in our lives and uh, the ability to sort of throw ourselves into God's mercy and right. seek His strength. Right. In, in the essay, The Blessings of Old Age, uh, she says, in our society, whatever is young, healthy, strong, speaking of that, uh, good-looking, efficient is glorified. The inevitable consequence is that in our society, the fear of getting old makes people panicky. Yeah, that's right. And you see that in our society with this youth culture and people Botoxing or whatever they need to somehow think as if they're cheating death. Yeah, 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 no, she says in there that, that Pope Benedict's rich white hair was definitely beautiful, but there's a certain, there's, a, there's, a, there's an attitude that, that afflicts all of us, that makes it difficult sometimes to right. see age and wisdom uh, as, as going together. Yeah, it says aesthetic surgeons are so much in demand that they can charge whatever they please even though these operations are not covered by insurance. One's face must must lie at all costs. And to follow up on you, years ago, white hair is called for respect. Now it's considered ugly. She goes on to say that uh, there was a time when age was respected. Yeah. Uh, and it clearly isn't anymore. Yeah. One of the ways in which she bore witness to this was that she, of course, had so much wisdom, and yet she was a, a, a little old lady, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and people would flock to her. And it was interesting to see how people of all ages, young and old, it wasn't just sort of her peers who thought, oh, what a wise old lady. I mean, you could, you could put a, a young teenager in front of her, like myself, mm -hmm. and uh, I was captivated. People were captivated by what she had to say and sensed that wisdom. Well, she, 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 had, she had a spark about her, a twinkle in her eye when she would say things and yeah. do things and you know in this in the blessings old age said true elderly persons cannot be baseball champions and they cannot win the marathon but does this fact deprive them of the wisdom that is usually acquired through experience and suffering right Right, and she points out that in the case of many figures, their their finest work came at the end of their life. She right. points out that Augustine, uh, his best works are his later works; mm -hmm. his weakest are his earlier. So, yeah, she used to also quip to the point about the you know the the sparkle in her mm -hmm. eye when you would say, you know, happy birthday. You know, you're now 95, mm -hmm. 96. You, dear one, uh, every year brings me closer to eternal youth. Mm -hmm. Was one of her her comments, and she had a kind of. Uh, eternal youth about her. Yeah, well, she was very witty. In uh, truth or charity, one of the most burning topics today is the relationship between truth and charity. What, what's the deal there? What is she talking about? Well, the, the false alternative between uh, what is seen to be kind and loving and charitable right. and truth as, uh, as, as um, a form of, of uh, uncaring and coldness. Right. And so she wants to bring them right. back as together. As if those are either or when exactly. they, they go together. Yeah. And the charity comes out of the truth. That's right. right. That's right. 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 Yeah. And, and that's why she goes after Augustus Comte. Uh, everything is relative except the, the statement itself. Uh, she calls him a megalomaniac. Isn't he like the father of <laughs> sociology or something, <laughs> virtually. <laughs> Lily did sometimes uh, 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 <laughs> fairly dim views even of famous figures. Right, well, sociology to some people believe was designed to be a secular religion ultimately yeah. in understanding things. She says the question is not is it a convincing argument today, but rather is one willing to be convinced by its validity. I thought that was good uh, because that's that the whole idea if you're not open to considering the fact that you may be wrong and you need to change. There's no point in having that conversation. Right? Yeah, and Lily had a lot of a lot of charity in her truth. You know, a lot, lots of people. I think, um, on the one hand, she could be fierce. You mm -hmm. know, in her argumentation, but the she had a great human sense, and she could sometimes tell you something that you know really was meant as a 
shall we say, constructive criticism, but right. in, the, in the kindest and most sensitive right. way. Yeah, she did it in a very gentle way. In, in her audience with John Paul II, and I know there's a picture when she met him, uh, and this one was actually written for Crisis Magazine in 05. She said, the thing that struck me most was his presence. Yeah. I truly had the impression that the man who carried the whole burden of the church on the shoulders was giving me his full attention. Sounds like Mother Teresa, right? Yeah. And could have repeated back to me my every word. He was fully there as if my modest message mattered to him. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was like that as well. Uh, right. One of the things I think so many of us who knew her felt was that, you know, she, this was, she was a, such a, a, a repository of wisdom and literature and history and philosophy and uh, on and on and a great storyteller. But she, she was, when you were in her presence, you really could be right. the only uh, person, so to speak. And she, and she became, she was very curious about people. And she would ask you questions about, I mean, she, you, you know this, right? She would famously remember your birthday and you get an email mm -hmm. the right. morning of your, it was always the first one too, but she was up so early. So right, at six right. in the morning, you'd get an email from her. So this ability to really turn to the right. other was something that I found striking in someone who was otherwise so vigorous and so intense and so mm -hmm. consumed by by her ideas and her insights. It right, was really right. a wonderful Well, in this section quality. we have personal remembrances. Uh, there's some, the Rhonda Chervin, some great people. Uh, Cardinal Burke yeah. is in there. Uh, it's like a who's who of wonderful people. Uh, some well-known, some Peter Kraft is in there. He made the point that Lily, like her husband, was gentle but formidable lion like Aslan. He likes Aslan. He does. He, he like always Aslan. talks about Aslan a lot, <laughs> but he kind of talked about her like Aslan. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, she always, you know, the, the book she wrote on her husband was called The Soul of a Lion. Right, but that's I right. Lily, that's you know, right, right. you have the soul of a lioness. Yeah, absolutely. And Anthony Esseland, yeah. uh, his commentary, he tells a story uh, that bef before the talk, Father Check and I had dinner with a few other priests and with his friend with a, who was a frequent guest, Alice von Hildebrand, Dietrich's widow. When she first arrived, I went up to her and said, Professor, I'm honored to meet you. She shook my hand and said, with a twinkle in her eye, and who are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, she was, uh, she was lovely. <laughs> She'd do that. Now you also have in here uh, the homily for the funeral mass of Alice von Hildebrand from January 22nd of 2022 by by our great friend, uh, uh, Father Gerald Murray, yes. out of New York, who's terrific, and he's part of, uh, shows up on Ray's show on a regular basis. He said, one of the most central themes in the lives of Dietrich and Alice von Hildebrand was the crucial importance of reverence if man is to order his life pr properly and fruitfully in this world. Yes, yes, that was one of the great themes of, of both Lily and her husband. Um, and she really practiced it. I, I've been thinking a lot about, about Lily and reverence. You know, to be in her presence was to experience what reverence looks mm -hmm. like in, in a reverent person. Because again, she could, be, she could really spar with you and there was right. a certain sense in which you felt a little bit at her mercy. But when it came to, to great questions and great realities, the reality of God and the supernatural, the mass, there was this, this, uh, this, this ability to sort of place herself before these things with a kind of an awe mm -hmm. about her. And I, I often experienced what it was like to see the world through her eyes and to see, and in a way, it was one of her most, uh, perhaps one of her great gifts to, to me and to others who knew her, was to not only sort of know what reverence is or to know what reverence statements are, right. but to know what reverence looks like in a reverent person. Right, which is why there was a lot of concern by them in, in, in some of the changes and how that was being handled That's out. That's right. Or the, out, which he called the sin, uh, which he referred to as the sin of being blasé. Yes. Uh, yes. And 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 this is uh, 
Gerald Murray again saying the curse of modern man is that so many of them have lost their sense for wonder and gratitude. Boredom is a punishment for irreverence. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, she and she had a she had a keen sense for things like this and I think most of us probably wouldn't think of being blasé as a sin, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but but she she understood the um, uh, the, the, the way in which boredom grew out of uh, other dispositions that were irreverent and ungrateful. Gratitude, of course, was another one of her great themes in life, right? right? A day without gratitude is a missed, is a kind of missed opportunity of Right, well, well gratitude is the key to humility, too. Right, and the key to, ha key to happiness, she right. would say. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Now, in the beginning, the, the first thing you have in the book is, quote, friendship is the remnant of paradise, Alice von Hildebrand, which is obviously the title of, of these selected essays. What does she mean? Yeah. Well, you know, we were searching for a title, and you know, we had somewhat more generic things like the wit and wisdom of, of Lily, and I thought, well, that sounds a little bit like Chesterton with a cigar or something. Right, and, okay. and then I, but then I remembered, uh, first of all, this phrase has been baked into me through years of being with her. She would often say it, and in fact, she and her husband saw lots of remnants of paradise mm -hmm. in the world. Um, and she, uh, it, there's, a, and there's an essay in there called The Canons of Friendship, and the very first line is friendship is a remnant of paradise. And it seemed to me that not only was this a great theme in her work, but it expressed uh, uh, the, the way in which she related to so many of her friends. Mm -hmm. She, she uh, I think she dignified our friendships by the way in which right. she honored them and she saw so much more in them the possibility. I say in my, in, in my introduction to the book that I had the feeling sometimes that she cared more about our joys and our sorrows than we ourselves did. Yeah. And she carried them in her in, in her heart. And so not only did she did she say something very beautiful when she said friendship is the remnant of paradise, right. but she really embodied it in her friendships with us. Right. There's a beautiful picture of her, and that's on the set of the original Bookmark show when we when we did that way back when. And uh, so I just wanted to mention that because it brings back great memories, of course. So how long did it take you to actually put this book together when you decided to put it together? Well, it, it was it was the project over many years, but not because it was a constant project, but because it was the kind of thing you needed to come back to. I think the hardest thing was the selection process. Mm -hmm. How do you winnow down? Um, and even now I think to myself, oh, I should have added that essay. Or, and we already think of volume two. Well, I was going to say, there's got to be a, a more, more material coming out. There's right? more where this came from, Doug. Right. Okay. Great. As well as videos, audios. Can people? What's your website? Right. So HildebrandProject.org is the is the Hildebrand Project's main website. We also have AliceVanHildebrand.org, mm -hmm. which is dedicated to her work. Uh, many of many of the. Uh, essays, including those not in this book, can be found right. there. Okay. Uh, we are also very happy that in the in the course of this year, we will be releasing uh, a whole new Alice von Hildebrand podcast. Oh, great! Uh, and much of it will feature her uh, series and appearances on EWTN. Right, which we were so, happy to make available. Oh, we're, and we're too. very grateful to to, to the network right. for that, and very much looking forward Absolutely. to rolling that out. And then people can also not only you know read her sparkling prose, but also right. hear her her Absolutely. voice. Absolutely. Well. She left a good legacy with somebody looking after her legacy. Well, Thank you best. so Thank much. You, okay, we're talking with John Henry Crosby, editor and presenter of the Alice von Hildebrand Remnant of Paradise, selected essays with remembrances by her dear friends by the Hildebrand Project, which John Henry Crosby leads up. And of course, I'm Doug Keck. We invite you to get this book through our religious catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on Bookmark.